I heard you guys talking about the AAU. Yeah, I was I was looking. You guys got a really good program. Got the girls, the boys out there, everything. Yeah, we're, we have one boys team right now. We have four girls teams. So uh, nice. our area has really good girls basketball. It's uh, boys basketball, and eh, not so much. Uh, but yeah, we've really, <laughs> we've really started to like kind of push into the AAU scene. Like we have five teams right now. Next year we'll probably have upwards of ten to fifteen, and then. You know, the goal is to just keep on expanding this thing and, you know, start a movement and allow kids to do something that's bigger than basketball. You know, represent something that's meaningful to them. Because, I mean, we've all been impacted by cancer, so. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how was it that I seen as you guys ran the camp this year? How was that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you there. You guys, you guys ran a camp this year for kids. How was that? Yeah, it was awesome. We were able to bring in one of our uh, players, Mo Creek, and... You know, yeah, of all the players, like he's kind of the most popular in our area because he yeah. had that shot last year. He's been with us for a long time, so people kind of on TV got to see him play. And, uh, you know, for our kids in our program, especially to be able to connect like what they represent with a pro athlete, you know, we don't have a ton of pro athletes around here in central Pennsylvania. So, like, for them to be able to do that was really, really cool. Yeah, I, I thought that was I thought that was real cool. I, I mean, I it, it, it was awesome on Mo's part and Charlie's part to do that. Uh, you know, it shows the type of character and the type of people that they are. Like, they believe in the brand. They believe, yeah. you know, in what we're doing, you know. Because the basketball is, believe it or not, only about 25% of what we do. Like, yeah. so much. My mom's kind of the head of, she spearheads everything medically. And I'm kind of responsible for the branding part. And so, like, being able to bring those guys in was, you know, truly, truly an awesome thing. I was going to ask you. So, tell us a little bit, like, the about the foundation and stuff and then the work that goes in. Yeah, so we uh, we we donate to Dr. A. James Moser of Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital uh, in Boston. He he was my dad's doctor, and he's he's known as the best surgical doctor in the country, maybe even in the world, probably the world, honestly. And uh, yeah, our, we've donated now over three hundred thousand dollars since my dad's diagnosis back in two thousand eleven. You know, this started very very small, very community driven, and now we're really starting to branch out a good deal uh, and using the power of sports to really you know portray our message that. You know, a, a lot of people get so caught up on it. Oh, donating money, it's doing this. Like, what, what, I don't want to say what cured breast cancer because it's still out there, obviously, but, you know, people aren't, women aren't dying at it from nearly as high of a clip anymore as they used to. Uh, yeah. Was the fact that they made pink sexy. You know, Lance Armstrong made wearing that, wearing that bracelet, like, oh, you're wearing, you're wearing that bracelet. Oh, you're one of them. I'm with, I'm with you then. You know, like, we're together when we wear that same bracelet. Our goal is to yeah. you know, have people see that sideline cancer shirt someday and be like, oh, you know who Marcus Keene is? Yeah, I love him. <laughs> <That's the idea. laughs> you know, I, I, roll with, I roll with you every day of the week. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, it's it's a great cause. And, and you guys have been with the TBT since the beginning. And what I, inception. what I noticed is that, you know, you guys, I mean, I'm sure you know it and people may not have told you or not. You guys actually pioneered these guys playing these games for causes. Because now you look up in TBT, you see, you know, like maybe four or five other teams that, you know, that they're out there. Jimmy V, mm-hmm. I think they have one for ALS. And, yeah. But you guys really pioneered that whole thing for them. Yeah. I would say, like, we kind of started it. But yeah. Challenge ALS, when they went to the championship game, I think it was 2017 or 18, they yeah. really, like, Sean Marshall is one hell of a man. Like, what he did to put, you know, Challenge ALS was on, like, that was on the map of the Ice Bucket Challenge, but 
to take yeah. it into a whole different sphere like it was kind of baseball driven because Pete Brady was a baseball guy you know yeah. and uh, he brought it into basketball and it was kind of like you know we take pride now like when you think of TBT like obviously you're going to think of Overseas Elite you're going to think of Bayheim's Army but you also think of Challenge ALS and Sideline Cancer and yeah. you know yeah. Jimmy B's team was to make a run someday you know in the same in the same essence and that's like a really cool thing that you know 10 years ago when we started this we started with a three-on-three basketball tournament we raised fifteen hundred dollars for a bat through a basketball tournament and we wow. thought we were we thought we were like awesome back then and then uh it just evolved over time and you know it's a lot of people's countless hours put in that have really helped to blow this thing up for us a, a good deal yeah. so how hard is it to like pull all these guys together because you guys have guys from from all over the place. Yeah, we're still we're still still do, dealing with it right now, despite the fact that we're the number one seed, uh, yeah. you know, and the success that we had last year. And some of it has to do with some of it's still COVID driven. Like I feel as if the contracts overseas are different right now than they have been. Like we just lost a player two days ago because he signed oh. a contract and they want to they wanted him over there Wednesday, like this Wednesday. And oh, wow. usually it's not till mid August. And TBT knows that, so they you know form this tournament around these pro players schedule so you know we came in and we had certain players in mind like i don't know if you guys are familiar with isaiah austin played at yeah. Winter. he was yeah, on, yeah. he was on our roster then he got picked in the first uh, he was number one overall pick in the big three draft so yeah 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 he, he, gotta, he played he gotta, yesterday you gotta go do that unfortunately we were, we yeah. understood him having to leave and aubrey dawkins got a chance at the uh, nba and so we oh, lost wow. those two guys, and we had a, I mean, we had a very, very good roster. And we still do have a very, very good roster. We filled them with some really good players. Terry Larrier, who played at UConn, uh, but we've definitely been scrambling a little bit more compared to what we've had to do in the past. Some of it COVID-driven. Some of it's just these, you know, uh, you know, these pro leagues are changing their start dates just because of what happened last year. Yeah. You know what's interesting? My son actually played in the same AAU organization as, as Terry Laria. He was in the middle school team when Terry was in the high school team. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, we just picked him up. Honestly, after you probably had asked us to be on here, it was after that that we picked up Terry Larry. It was Sunday of last week, so it was one week ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it might have been the same day that you asked us to come on, honestly, we picked up Terry Larry. So, wow! Pretty, pretty cool. We call those we call those God winks in our in our. <laughs> it's like when you know God winks at you and you just go, oh, yep, there he is. <laughs> Do you guys find any uh, challenges with bringing in players? Like, um, like. Do players, let's say, don't necessarily want to be affiliated with the cause? Like, do you think the cause represents any challenge for you? Uh, it. I wouldn't say it necessarily represents a challenge for us. The majority of what we've tried to do since day one is to make this kind of a community-based team. Meaning, it's like, all right, Mo, who's one of your friends? Well, I'm I'm good friends with Remy. Like, we'd like I, I'd like Remy to play with us, and you know, it kind of has all been, you know, based based on relationships. And we say relation, and you know, this in sports, like chemistry is so important. Like, we've had multiple GMs reach out to us over the last like two three years, saying we wish our team had the chemistry you had. But we don't have the luxury of saying, well, all of our guys went to Syracuse or all of our guys went to, you know, Marquette. We have the luxury, though, of saying we can choose from a big pool of players. But when all things are equal, and even if talent is a little bit higher than maybe a different player, but these guys were roommates in college, we go, oh, yeah, we'll take the guy that's a roommate in college because we know there's going to be no personality issues then with the team. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's how we overcame that obstacle. Early on, like, we were not – we were, like, the worst team in TBT. And so we kind of had to change up our strategies over time. And 
Uh, you know, we recruited one guy, his name was Jermaine Marshall, who I played against in high school, and it kind of all changed after we recruited Jermaine Marshall. He brought us in Mo, Mo and, Mo and him brought us Remy, you know, and then they brought us Raymond Cowles, and then we picked up E.T. and Eric Thompson at the last minute. We uh, were able to get Marcus Keene, and then after that, when we were out in Wichita, it all just kind of turned upside down for us and became a really a powerful move. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? I, I was looking at it. How did how did um like Charlie transition from being a player to to the coach? <laughs> yeah, so Charlie was our best player. I got a great story. Yeah, I got a great story about Charlie Parker that uh, you know epitomizes what his character actually is. Our GM Billy Clapper, who graduated from the same high school that I did, uh, called Charlie during the first TBT and was like, "Hey, Charlie, like, you know." I got this tournament we're going to play on, you know, the win or the championship games on ESPN. It plays for a pot of half a million dollars at the time, 32 teams. And Charlie's like, yeah, I stood up. I was pacing back and forth, walking through my house. Like, yeah, half a million dollars ESPN. I'm all about that. And then Billy, these are back in our old days. And Billy goes, and we're going to donate every single dollar back to this uh, foundation called Sideline Cancer. And Charlie's like, I sat down. I put my, ha- I put my hands in my head. <laughs> he, he, he looks up and he goes, and I told him I was in. And ever since then, Charlie has been like Mr. Sideline Cancer. It's it's been truly remarkable. Like he's going to be hosting events down in his area and uh, selling T-shirts and you know just trying to it, it give back in a lot of ways. Like he coaches one of our Sideline Cancer AAU teams, which is incredible that a you know a professional like him is coaching an AAU team and like he thoroughly thoroughly enjoys it because all he does he trains kids so he's constantly in basketball and so he figured you know it's a seamless transition for him to be able to do the AAU and it kind of you know goes right hand in hand with what he's doing so we got our, our third guy in Theo there we so. go. I saw that yeah. what's going on man how you doing man I'm, I'm well good. about yourself no complaints man um, that's good I'm glad to hear it I want to ask you, um, are there any rules different from the NBA as far as like uh, regulations or overtime rules? Uh, there, like- is, there is no overtime in TBT. That's what's crazy because it ends on what's called the Elam end. You guys watch the NBA All-Star game this year? Or yeah. Year? yeah. So the NBA has taken that from TBT, which is kind of cool. And so we like last year, you know, if a game, if the fourth quarter ends and it's 71-68, let's say, Whoever has 71, they add eight points onto that score. And that, so you yeah. play to 79. So you always finish on a game-winning bucket, which is really cool, but it changes the the way that the game is played. And right. it changes like what you do as a coach, because it used to be like, oh, there's four minutes left, you're up 20. You know, you put you put the bench players in. Well, with the Elam ending, it's like, the, if the other team goes on a 12-0 run, well, oh crap, like, you know, the, the time's not gonna run out on you. You gotta get to a final score. And so it creates for some really, crazy endings like our game against overseas elite last year with joe johnson when we beat him right you know in that shot that mo hit that's because of the yeah. team ending yeah the level of intensity at the end of those games is, is extremely high oh yeah and that's all I, I i'm an advocate i think that the high school game the college game the pro game it should all be lamenting because it's like when you go down to the ymca and play it's like you play to 15 or you play to 11 or whatever and it's a score you know not necessarily time and so i I, I really like the lamenting. At first, I was a little skeptical about it. Now, I'm all about it. Plus, like you said, it it, it kind of takes uh, teams out of that mold of, oh, we could just hold the ball and let the time run out, and it eliminates no all of that. Yeah, no fouling at the end, all that type of stuff. Like, it's possession, possession. And, like, what we've learned is, you know, in the Syracuse game, we were up 25, I think. We started, like, 
a cut, you know, it's, it's traditional basketball to start walking the ball up the court and be like, no, let's go beat him by 35 type deal. You know, even though it's Elam ending doesn't mean the clock is not going to run out, guys. And that's, you know, they're they're all pros. And so they're used to, oh, we have a big lead. We can slow it down. Like, no, you just keep playing at your pace until you hit that last shot. Now, you mentioned your, uh, like, AAU teams. How many teams did you say you guys have? Uh, right now, we have five AAU teams. We have a seventh grade girls team, an eighth grade girls team. We have a ninth grade boys team, and then we have a ninth grade girls team. And that's the one that Charlie coached, our TBT head coach, uh, down in Lancaster, which is about three hours from where I'm from. I'm in Altoona, Pennsylvania right now. And then the other four teams are all local here. And we have a 10th grade girls team, and they, they just went down. They won the Virginia Beach uh, National Championship. And then they went to Kentucky, and they were in the Platinum Division, and they uh, they went 4-1 and one there. So they were the highest division down in Kentucky in the Run for the Roses, which is – you know, a, a huge, huge tournament. They are really, really playing well, which kind of honestly shocked us uh, at how well they're playing right now. Now, how, how has the, like, the pandemic, um, I guess, changed up how you guys practice or for your AAU uh, team? So it, it didn't necessarily really impact the AAU organization other than the fact that, like, they were just starting last year. Like, this is, like, June 1st of last year was kind of our first practice, and it was, like, when some of the sanctions got lifted here in Pennsylvania, we were able to then practice outside and do those type of things. They were able to go to like two or three tournaments. There was only like two teams last year. Uh, so it hasn't really impacted them a whole lot. We've had to wear masks at some point, those type of things. With regard to TBT though, it really it, it really changed things. Like last year we were in the bubble for, we were in a hotel room for 20 days, I think it was, 17 days, oh, something wow. like that. And like the initial quarantine was like 48 hours, in your room, can't leave, they're bringing you food. It was kind of creepy, honestly. Uh, <laughs> and then you kind of got used to it, and then it kind of became fun when you were winning and you know, you're playing in front of a, a crowd of zero. <laughs> it was kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, uh, you learned like, you know, and how kind of simple life can be at this at the same time. It's just you're in your hotel room kind of by yourself. Couldn't communicate with any other people in the hotel except the people that were on your team. And above all, I think that that's what really bonded this team really closely together. Some teams, they would break apart uh, in a situation like that. Our group really came together, and I, I truly mean that. Like, we got to know each other more so in, in last year's TBT because we were there for so long, and there was just nothing else to do. It was NBA 2K, you know, it was go to practice, come back, order some dinner, back to the NBA 2K or break down some film and go from there. So this year, do they plan on have, like, do they still have similar restrictions or have they opened it up somewhat? So they've opened it up. Uh, there's, so we'll still have to get tested and everything like that. So our testing is Wednesday. Uh, they have some teams that have reached the full vaccination. They have some teams that have not. Uh, and so there's different, like, there's different things that the fully vaxxed teams can do and those that are not fully vaxxed. Uh, but for the most part, it's like, as long as you don't go into contact or go into any large crowds, like, it's kind of like they're okay with it. Like, you even see it kind of like on the in the NBA right now, like after the game, Chris Paul is hugging his family and whatnot. Like, I, I guess he had broken protocol. I don't know what happened there for that whole yeah. situation. But I'm talking about like, even like in the NBA playoffs or the NBA finals, you know, there is some interaction that's allowed now. I think that they're a little bit you know, less restrictive on it. But, you know, we still have to, you know, meet protocol. The player test positive, they're out, uh, the whole nine yards. And that can be a vaccinated player, too. You know, we saw that with Chris Paul. So, you know, the COVID thing, like, we're still living in that world. You know, hopefully by next year's TBT, we're out of that situation. 
Uh, but, you know, only time will tell. I thought of last year's TV TV got him, so clearly that didn't come true. So, <laughs> as far as, like, your roster, like, if you if you had, like, a, lose a couple of players, do they give you any roster flexibility as far as replacing them, or? Uh, no. So oh, that's, what oh. us, that's what happened to us last yes, year is pre-tournament, we had two players test positive that didn't know oh. that they were actually, and they were two of our starters from the year before. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, one of them will be coming back this year. The other one was the one that got the contract situation where he's leaving to go back overseas Wednesday. Uh, so, yeah, that happened. And Diamond Stone, who played in the NBA, you know, was the first round yeah. draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. He hurt his Achilles in the first game. And we were all of a sudden, like, we took we went in with 11. We were down to eight. And wow. we wow. played against a Marquette team that they didn't lose anybody to go. And so it was kind of like this luck of the draw. Uh, you know, with regards to none of these players felt sick. It just was they tested positive and, you know, so they were out, unfortunately. But, you know, we made the best that we could with it. And it's the same this year. Last year, though, it was like if you tested positive when everybody was together, so we got tested every single day, your whole team was out. This year, it's just the individual player would be out. And then our team would go into testing protocol where we get tested one to two times a day, I believe. Oh, okay. Yep. Are they allowing spectators now? Yeah, so... You know, it's gonna be the West Virginia. <laughs> the West Virginia. It's in Charles. We're, we're gonna be down in Charleston, West Virginia. So we're on the side of the pool that sh- that probably won't draw the largest crowds. But okay. when when West Virginia is the two seed, and then Marshall, alum- the Marshall alumni team, they're the three. Oh. Seed, so we're the one. So we avoid them the whole time. We won't play them until we get to Dayton. And at that point, you know, at, yeah, I'm sure some yeah. Virginia fans will follow or Marshall fans or whatever. You know, if we're fortunate enough to get to that spot, but you know, we're hoping we're hoping that we have some fans there. But you know, we're we're a TV team. <laughs> we always tell people like we have fans all across the country in hospitals uh, and whatnot. And uh, some some we've had some crazy stories from people telling us like, you know, we have the one guy who's the first African American player at, Pitt, uh, at Pittsburgh University, and he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer while he was watching us play on TV. Oh wow! Wow. Just just a crazy story. He reached out to us, and we sent him a jersey. We put his name on the back of it. Like, you know, his his sons and his family were so appreciative of that. And you know, you could tell it was kind of a pride thing. He's like, "Wow, this disease that I have right now, there's people out there out there that are fighting for me." And uh, just we we t- we took in some crazy stories after last year's TBT that you know were really heartfelt and. Uh, it's why we do it. It's why, and our players know that too now. And it's like they're like, "Wow, I'm a, I'm a part of something that's bigger than basketball, and it's truly special." Uh, I want to ask you: Are there any teams considered your favorite going into the tournament besides besides your team? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, the don't say Santa Cruz, please. Don't say don't say Santa Cruz. <laughs> I can't stand Santa Cruz. You would think <laughs> I'm a Georgetown right. fan, so don't say Santa Cruz. So I'll tell you a little story here real fast. So the one team is a four-time champion overseas elite. They're the ones that had Joe Johnson on their team last year, but they're most known for DJ uh, Kennedy, who actually I played against in high school. And uh, DeAndre Kane, who I also played against in high school. Uh, but uh, yeah, they'd be as bad. <laughs> uh, my point is though that their team overseas elite, they are kind of like, when you think of TBT, you probably think of their team. They are not playing this year, but DJ Kennedy and DeAndre Kane got picked up by Bayheim's arm. Oh, so wow. Everybody now is calling them Bayheim's elite arm or Bayheim's yeah. overseas elite arm. <laughs> and so they're they're definitely a favorite. They're ranked as a, as a three seed right now, but that was before they made those additions. 
Marquette, unbelievable people. Uh, last year after winning, they donated some money to our foundation players, and their fan base donated like $15,000, an incredible fan base. They stay very active on our social media page, uh, commenting on things and whatnot. Uh, truly a class, class act right there. Joe Chapman, their head coach, there's not a better guy in TBT. You know, you have them, you got Challenge ALS, you got Carmen's crew in Dayton. You know, Carmen's crew is the Ohio State team. They are very, very good. West Virginia, Marshall in our, in our division, Armored Athlete. Those, there's a quarter of about 16 teams that probably can win TBT, but there's about 40 to 45 teams that can probably beat you on any given night. You know, maybe doesn't have the capability of winning it all, but they can beat right. you on any given night. I mean, these guys are pros, man. Like, pros yeah. are pros. So, you know what's interesting? So, for Bayham's Army, they actually picked up another player, Chris McCullough, that Terry Larrier knows really well. They really? both play together. They both played together on um, PSA Cardinals AAU team. I'll have to tell Terry that. Yeah, Chris McCullough. Yeah, Chris McCullough's on um, on Bayheim Army. He went to Syracuse this year. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's a pretty cool story. Pretty. But there's so many connections in TBT. It's like wild. RGM at TBT. Billy Clapper. He knows like all of the dynamics and knows who knows who and what knows what. It's just it's crazy, honestly, at how much at how much basketball is being played out there at all levels. And then the connections whenever you get up to like the highest levels, college and then pro. These guys have all either played against each other or played with each other at some point. So they really do know each other. And there's a real level of respect for guys at all levels. Even the NBA guys like Chris Paul, they, they didn't put a team in this year, but he usually puts a team in this and, you know, just loves the TBT. Because when you love basketball, man, it doesn't matter what your background is, you know, all that type of stuff. People just, if you love basketball, it's a community, man. It's tight knit. Yeah, agreed. So how can people um, get involved in terms of donations or anything? Yeah, so if you would like to donate, uh, you can go to sidelinecancer.com. You know, the tab will be right there. Uh, I, we always kind of say, like, we're not so much about, the, you know, if you want to go make a donation, like, we're happy, to, we're happy to take the donation. But simply following us on our social media pages, you know, and staying active on those, liking our pictures and whatnot, you know, commenting. We believe that that type of movement, like similar to Susan G. Komen with the Ice Bucket Challenge, like the Ice Bucket Challenge wasn't like, hey, I'm donating $15 to, you know, or to, uh, not cancer research, to uh, ALS research. It was just like, we're making it aware that this is a problem. This will be a problem, like ALS is a problem that's, you know, one of the biggest mysteries really in science. Like they really don't know a whole lot about it. And so, you know, with regards to, you know, my dad's diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, there is a cure for pancreatic cancer. The problem is we catch it too late. Like by the time my dad was diagnosed, it was stage four. Like John Lewis, the congressman, same thing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, same thing. Uh, uh, Alex Trebek, same thing. That's just in this last calendar year, those people, right? If you can detect this thing early, then you have, a, you have your cure. So that's what we really invest our money into is early detection. And we used to kind of blindly donate to, to the point now that we're kind of like, we're waiting for early detection cancer research to come out. We have a, we, on our board, we have a couple of doctors that are gastro-oncologists, uh, doctors and whatnot. And they're like, okay, this is legitimate. Let's throw our money at this instead of just blindly donating at things. You know, when you first get into something, we didn't really know the whole industry all that well. Now we do. My mom's one of four pancreatic advocates in the entire country. None of us are paid. We don't we don't take a single dime from the foundation. Uh, and so, you know, it's one of those things like we just like our pictures, if nothing else, if you don't have money to donate, you can cure cancer in so many ways that you don't even know. Social media is powerful, man. 
Could you um could you give people some statistics around pancreatic cancer? Because I don't think a lot of people know how you know the the, the level of commonness of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, fifty. I believe it's last year. So we're always going off of like 2019, 2020 statistics. Uh, I believe there were fifty-seven thousand people that were diagnosed, and wow. of those, I believe it was forty-four thousand people died that year that were diagnosed in that one calendar year. Wow! My dad would not have been in that statistic. My dad made it nineteen months. So when my dad, so here, here's here's the bombshell for a lot of people that a lot of people don't understand. When my dad was diagnosed, he was given two to six weeks to live. He was oh. given two to six weeks to live. Like that's what we're trying to change. Right. Wow. You know, I had an aunt just recently diagnosed with cancer and she was told she'd have 10 years to probably live. You can you you, you can like when, when you've heard the two to six weeks and you get 10 years, you're like, OK, I, I got a lot of I got a lot of people I need to talk to and I can I can get those conversations and I can still live a quality life in that time. What we're trying to do is we're trying to push that time limit past, you know, a six month diagnosis, because a lot of times it's. You hear of a person like the guy, the man, the guy that's the CEO of the Marriott. He's 54 years old. You know, I was watching the news and it's like, oh, he has pancreatic cancer. I was watching CNBC in the morning, and like six weeks later, like, oh, Arnie, uh, Arnie Sorensen, he died. And I'm like, yeah, that's six weeks. Like he had aggressive stage four, probably adenocarcinoma, like my dad did. And so, you know, that's what we really try to fight for is to get this cancer. We always say off the sideline and to the finish line. And even if it's not a cure, if it's just to simply push it so that life expectancy is 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 better, that's we we would be we would be more than happy with that as a good as a good starting step. So, what can people do to, to kind of like you know try to become early diagnosed? Or what type of things should they look for? Or how would they go about getting checked for? That's the thing right now. There's there's not a whole lot. So one more little story for you here. Wow. Uh, about two years after my dad died, we were introduced to a kid. His name was Jack Andreka. He uh, was a 14-year-old boy in his science class, and his uncle was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic and liver cancer, like my like my dad was. And he went home and he spent like six months just thinking about it, thinking. And this is a 14-year-old guy. So this is a 14-year-old. And he came up with an early detection test. He said, "I'm gonna rethink the way that." cancer you know that cancer treatment takes place when we think of cancer we think of chemo he goes the best way to fight against cancer is to detect it early so he came up with a blood sample and this is like where the science part comes into my mom could be a lot better at this than i am but nanotubes and all these different types of things ca199 markers uh that i can't really speak to very well i'm not a science person yeah yeah but, i can <laughs> yeah i know it's, uh <laughs> But like you'd prick your finger and you take a little urine sample every day. And uh, it won him the Intel Science Fair Award that year for redirecting the way that cancer research was taking place. Now here's one of the problems with it though, is when he went to 200 doctors, 199 of them said, no, this no, this isn't the proper oh, wow. for cancer for cancer treatment. And one doctor, Dr. Anabon Miatra, who was located down in MD Anderson said, you know what kid, I'll give you a chance. And uh, this was when they, this was when Anabon Miocho was at Johns Hopkins, and he took a chance on the kid, and he created a product that was 98% accurate. Now we know in the medical world you need 100% efficacy, uh, and so it's not quite there. But if a 14-year-old kid that's sitting in a science class can figure this out, I would sure hope that some doctors with a you know 12 years experience would be able to take what he has given to the world and be able to come up with a better solution. And so when that takes place, 
best believe sideline cancer and the 74 other uh, pancreatic cancer uh, uh, foundations that are out there will be there supporting that research as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. A 14-year-old boy. Is that not wild? Um, I'm going to ask you, um, have any, have any players benefited from your platform? For example, um, let's say somebody work at a nine to five job and all of a sudden they're playing in your tournament and play well, that got exposure and that gets playing so well in your tournament, they're able to play overseas. Yeah, so, yeah, we definitely, you know, our one of our best players is Marcus Keene. And, uh, you know, he led division one in scoring. We took it, we took a gamble on Marcus when nobody really wanted him because he, you know, he's five, five, seven, five, eight and you know a little bit smaller in stature and we 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 went after marcus after he graduated he played one year pro all of our guys are all of our guys are pros just to start but he was playing in taiwan and like mm. the way the overseas leagues work like taiwan's not up the highest you know it's not of the highest pedigree right and, you know first year when we were out in wichita like he played well not up to the standard that he did last year but he still played well and he was able to you know parlay that into a better contract and then after what happened last year, he was in. He got up into Russia's highest league, the Estonian, uh, the Estonian Russian league. It's called the BTB. Nice. And, uh, you guys are you guys are all from New York City, so you guys would know this guy, Mike James. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mike yeah. James plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Well, his biggest Mike James's biggest rival when he was over in Russia, Marcus Keane. Mike James oh. averaged twenty-one mm. points a game. They're both point guards. Marcus Keane was averaging twenty points per game because Mike James left. Marcus Keane was the scoring champion. Um, oh. They would have been fighting. They've been vying for it, and like one of them would have gotten it, obviously. But it was twenty-one points to twenty points. Like you know, it, it, one one big game or one bad game, the other guy would have had it type deal. And so Marcus is now Marcus now just took a Euro Cup deal, which is like the high, the second highest level in Europe, I believe. I've really learned the European leagues and you know the overseas leagues, and so his exposure in TBT has really allowed him to, you know, profit off of, even though we didn't win the title last year and win the $1 million off mm -hmm. of his exposure in TBT. And I think some of it, is, I think I think some of it helps too, is like obviously winning obviously helps, but you know, when you're associated, when you're with a challenge ALS, when you're with a sideline cancer, you know, there's a positive image that comes with that as well. And uh, I, I yeah. nobody probably other, you know, probably nobody more than Marcus Keene has really benefited from playing, you know, with sideline cancer and in the TBT. Like both of those things combined have really allowed him, along with his ability, clearly, he's really good, you know, to uh, propel himself to the next levels of basketball. If he leads us to a championship this year, honestly, he could be in the NBA this year, this next season. Uh, I want to ask one more question too. Um, yeah. From your personal, your personal opinion, from either your team or any other team in the tournament. Give me a percentage of players that you actually feel are NBA material. There's such a fine line between NBA and the, the guys on, the, there's this podcast called uh, Charge Nation, Zoom to TBT. And they always say, if you're 450, you have a spot in the NBA. There's 450 roster spots in the NBA. Mm -hmm. If you're 451, you're either yeah. playing G League. We know there's two-way contracts and whatnot, but you're either playing G League or you're going overseas to play. And the the difference between somebody in that's sitting at the end of the bench and sitting at and playing overseas is so razor thin. It's so small. Uh, a lot of times in our group chat with me, Charlie, and uh, our general manager, Billy Clapper, we always say, would you take X player that's in the NBA or would you take Marcus Keene? And a lot of times that results in, well, it all depends on what you're looking for. 
you know, right. if you're looking for a cold-blooded scorer, you're taking Marcus Keene. But if you're taking yeah. looking for a guy that's going to be able to switch one through four type deal, well, then you might take the other guy. And so I think a lot of times it's just preference. You know, I got a friend that he's, uh, you know, he's in professional basketball. He's out with the Suns. Uh, so they're doing pretty well. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm always like, man, you should take a look at this guy. You should take a look at this guy. He's like, well, our preference is this. But another team's preference could be something completely different. So, yeah. you know, what separates these guys at the low end of the NBA, it's in overseas, high-level Euro Cup leagues, like EuroLeague players, so razor thin. There's definitely NBA players playing in PBT, though. Yeah, I mean, you have guys like like um, Jamel Artis, like I thought, in yeah, who played, yeah, who played yeah. in the Yeah, and so like I think Jamel got 18 games with the Orlando Magic, and uh, yeah, you know he high level, high level basketball player. He is the reason that we beat overseas lead. And, like I know a lot of people, you know, you want to go to Mo Creek shot, you want to go to Marcus's yeah. 22, Mo's 20. I think he had a game Remy at 18 type deal, but Jamel has a NBA player body. Yeah, he's, he's, he's six, yeah. Seven, yeah, he does. Six, yeah. seven, long, and, like, he's, like, he's built, man. Like, yeah. he could guard Joe Johnson. He uh -huh. could guard Joe Johnson. I watched that, yeah. Yeah, we didn't always have to run a double. Every other team had to run a double team of Joe Johnson, right? And if you didn't run a double team, like, on the Marshall team, he scored 35. Against yeah. us, we would, we would stun at him. And then sometimes we'd send one player. We never sent the same double team two times in a row. So like we were trying to confuse them on where's that pass going to be. If he has to think an extra half second, that gives us a chance to respond. And so sometimes we'd send somebody from one area. Sometimes we'd send them from a different area. Sometimes we'd have to send them at all because we trusted that Jamel could guard him and he could take that beating. That I mean, yeah. Joe Johnson is Joe Johnson is crazy good. And he's physically imposing. <laughs> And that's a pro, that, that's what a guy like Jamel Artis is able to do. And, you know, coming into this, that, that was Jamel's first year with us. If, you, if you'd have told me, because I'm a Pitt basketball fan, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, so Pittsburgh's pretty close, right? Yeah. And so I watched a ton of Jamel Artis in college. I was like, oh, he's probably gonna score 20 for us. No, he was, he was one of our best defenders. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would never have guessed that. And uh, that's just a testament to how many skills that these guys have. They have crazy, crazy skill levels. My my son has a friend that actually pays for um plays for Pitt now. Let's say a guy named um Ethel Horton. Okay. That, yeah, he plays for Pitt now. So you should see him this year. Last year, you know, obviously, but yeah, he'll be out there this year. Gotcha. I'll be watching. I'll be watching. So when you when you guys with him, you guys get together and really you, well, you're less than a week away now. Yeah, <laughs> technically, less than a week away. Um, you guys ready? Oh, how how do you feel about the preparedness right now? Less than a week away, a week away. Yeah, this goes back to like what we talked about at the very beginning is the connections part. You know, we stay active with our guys all year long, and they all stay active with one another. Honestly, the best thing that, that has ever happened to our team is the fact that these guys were in that bubble for as long as they were, and they all play like Call of Duty together now, or they play NBA 2K against each other online. So. You know, they're in constant communication with one another. We start our training camp on Tuesday tentatively. Like, some people are flying in Wednesday type deal. So, like, it'll, the real basketball stuff will start Wednesday. Tuesday now will be just more of a workout night and, like, a hey, how they're doing type night. So, at, like, at the moment, we're, we're as prepared as we can be. Are we 100% prepared at the moment? Like, no. Uh, you know, by Friday of this week, 
you know, we'll be prepared and we'll be back to like where we were last year, having all of our baseline out of bounds plays, sideline out of bounds plays, you know, what we're going to do, you know, offensively, defensively, schematically and that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, these guys are pros. It's not, I'm a high school basketball coach. It's not like coaching high school kids where you got to go over this stuff a million times. You tell them once, a pro knows. Oh, okay. So how's the high school team, man? <laughs> the high school team, we're, uh, we're kind of in a rebuild process right now. Uh, <laughs> a lot of them are all playing AAU basketball with us. Like that ninth grade boys group, like a couple of them started for us this year. And, you know, when when you're a ninth grade boy playing a high school schedule, like you're in a little bit of trouble unless you're a really, really good basketball player. Yeah. We don't have a whole lot of them around here. We, we have a lot of D2 level players. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And so that's what this class of kids coming up is. They're, you know, D2, maybe possible D1 here if another kid grows a couple inches or whatnot. So, you know, that's a little bit different type style of coaching than when you coach uh, the professional players. It's uh, it's a real treat to be able to be, I'm blessed to be able to coach both. I enjoy both uh, a lot. And there's a lot of similarities, but there's also some drastic differences. Like I could just, you know, Marcus King, you put him in a ball screen. It's just like, okay, he'll do the rest. High school kid, you have to teach them all the things. And like, that's the thing that gets forgotten is that somebody had to teach Marcus those things as well. You know, somebody had to teach Mo Creek how to shoot like that or, you know, yeah. to teach Eric Thompson to be that great of a role player, to know I'm a ball screener, I'm a rebounder, and I'm going to be an excellent defender. You know, somebody had to teach him that along the way, and then we get to be the beneficiaries of somebody's great coaching, uh, which is truly, truly, you know, an awesome part of this whole story. Like you were talking about, you know, your son playing AAU and all that type of stuff. Like, if you just, if, if the best thing I could tell a kid right now is you don't have to take every message that a coach ever gives you, you just have to take a piece of what they tell you. You take a piece from one coach, you take a piece from another coach, you take a piece from a teacher, you know, you take a piece from your parents and an aunt, an uncle, you're going to, you're going to really be successful in life. And uh, that's what this whole foundation is really about with the sideline cancer, the I can, and our messaging is believe always, you know, with an I can attitude and believe always spirit, you know, we can change the world and we truly do believe that basketball is going to change the world someday. Uh, and, you know, we're hopefully, we're hopeful that it happens, you know, sooner rather than later. Now, does coaching the, the pro-level players make it easier for you to come back to your high school team? Like, where they listen to you more because you have that, you know, experience coaching pro-level players? Yeah, uh, I've been, I'm fortunate. I, I coach at the high school that I went to. And so I know a lot of these kids already. I know their older brothers, you know, I know okay. their parents type deal. And the fact that matters, I can still kick their ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, when push comes to shove, it's like, I'm, you know, I don't I look like I'm that good of a player, but compared to a ninth grade player, I'll still pick him up and down the court a little bit. I can still run, so, uh, yeah. But, you know, there is definitely some credibility that comes with that. If I'm able to say, like, look, this is the way that, you know, Remy would guard this screen, or this is the way. I literally, last year in practice, like, we, were, we kept wanting to switch every single screen. We get caught with a big on a small, and yeah. the small taking us to the basket. And I'd say, if you watch our Team Hines game, we play drop coverage, so a little bit different on it, and it put Diamond in a bad situation. Every game after that, Eric Thompson hedged every ball screen hard. And I'm not saying hedging a ball screen is the way you have to guard it. There's, every team's different, yeah. right? But uh, people don't necessarily like hedging a ball screen hard, but Eric Thompson did, because that's the type of man that Eric Thompson is. He's a uh, meat and potatoes. I'll do whatever you need me to do if you believe it's going to help us win. And, you know, and he believes in everything that this mission's about and that Charlie says, and that's the most important part. But, yeah, there's definitely some things that I'm able to go back and be like, hey, Marcus King did it this way. You don't want to think about doing it that way, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely some, you know, keys in that.
Uh, you said previously that uh, you're a Pittsburgh Panther fan. Yeah, I'm a, Pitt, I'm a Pitt basketball fan. Penn State at heart, but it's a, you know, Penn State basketball is not always the best. Yeah, see, see, sometimes you got to go over the other side of the Yeah, right, like, because, you know, you know, I love college basketball, and I'm very familiar going out as a kid to now, you know, with Pittsburgh before like the ACC. Mm-hmm. So, like, I got Charles Smith, which is Gore, and Jason Matthews, you know, Jeremy Cutler. So, that being said, yeah. um, can, can you name your, your five favorite uh, Pitt players? Put me on the spot. Jamel Artist is number one. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Brad Wong, so I'm going to name some guys that we've actually played. We played against Pitt Zoo Crew two years in a row. In okay. And so uh, the first year that I actually became part of this thing, uh, it was our third year, and it was Charlie's last year as a player. And uh, we played Pitt Zoo Crew, and they beat our brains. They beat us mm. by like 30. And LeVance Fields had a day against us. And ever yeah, since then, yeah. Yeah, ever <laughs> since then, I've been very, like, pro, pro LeVance Fields. Like, <laughs> you know, even, like, when you watch them on TV, I, I was younger, you gotta understand, I was younger watching LeVance Fields play. Yeah. I was be like, man, like, how's a guy, like, and I hope he doesn't watch this, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, he was a little bit heftier back in the day for a point guard. Yeah, he was. And, uh, he was. Yeah. But that's what Pitt did, like, Carl Krauser, all those guys. Like, uh-huh. right. big, yeah. big, bulky point guards, right? Yeah. yeah. So... My point, my point being is like when you actually saw him on the court, how quick he was, and you were like, oh, he's actually more chiseled than you actually think. Like even you, Bill's kind of that way too. You like look at him on TV, like oh, he's a little pudgy. Mm-hmm. You see him on the court, like oh, like he's not pudgy at all. And right. uh, but my point is like a lot of respect for Levance Field. Like I've texted him a couple times before, like trying to get him to play for us. This is back in the day. Uh, yeah. And long, long story short, Brad Wanamaker was on that team too. Gary McNeil oh, was on that yes. team. Yeah, he's a problem. Over by Kemba, uh, yeah. was on that team as well. But to go back to even like, you know, earlier days, like the guy I played with fans, I played against in high school, Dewan Blair. Like I was a oh, big, yeah. big yeah. Yeah. Dwan Blair. Yeah, there's a problem. Dwan Blair dunked on me. The second time, I, I went over to take the charge, he just jumped over me. <laughs> the, second time I went, the second time I went over, I just got out of the way, and my high school coach took me out. He's like, "Why didn't you take? Did you not see what happened last time, man? Like, I'm <laughs> never take that charge again." Uh, but even like, if you go back in the day, like uh, Joyous Page, like you know, oh, yeah. like grinders like Remy Abel, like you just throw yes. him on anybody, and he's garbage. Yeah. Uh, those, those are the type of guys that you know, Sam Young. Like I remember those type of guys. Sam Young's uh, anything yeah. before really 2000, I was a little bit too young to really, you know, remember many of those players. You know, send it in Jerome's, obviously. You know, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, those would be, those would definitely be my guys. But uh, Jamel's definitely the top of that. Nice, nice. It's really nice. So when you when you guys were saying go out there go out there next week, listen, have you got have you started to study your opponent yet? The scouting begin. Scouting has began, uh, <laughs> you know, and some of the, some of the scouting is a little bit easier now because uh, <clears throat> we follow a lot of these professionals all year long. Okay. Uh, I'm fortunate as a teacher that, you know, I can kind of, you know, maneuver my schedule in a way. I teach the same seven classes all day, and uh, I can kind of maneuver my schedule a little bit. So it's like, oh, if, you know, Jamel's playing on TV. I can, or not on TV, <laughs> but live streaming. You know, at yeah. 10 a.m., it's like, you know, I can I can maneuver. So it's like I catch a half of the game. But then, you know, I'm watching Jamel, but I'm also watching the guys that they're playing against because I'm like, is it somebody that we would want to go after? Or oh. is it also, or could it also be someone that we're going to play against in TBT? 
And so, you know, when it comes to some of these teams, like for instance, like if we're, if we're, for, if we're it's a single elimination tournament. So if we're fortunate enough to get to the Sweet 16, you know, we're thinking we're gonna play armored athlete. And Cody Clark had one of the best seasons you can possibly have in Israel's Winter League this year, which is the highest league basically in basketball outside of Euro League and Euro Cup. It's Israel, yeah. Israel Pro One is as high as it gets basically. You know, Maccabi yeah. Tel Aviv and some of those teams. And Cody Clark, you know, six foot seven, shot forty-seven percent from three. He—he's a—he's a dream of a player. You know, he's eight rebounds type guy. Uh, you know, you just you follow these guys throughout the year, and it's like when I first started in TBT, I, I would never have even known who Cody Clark was, and I wouldn't have even known like how good European basketball is over there, or what the rules are in some of these leagues, because you can't. You can't look at like a guy like Mike Dom, who dominated last year's TBT, and look at his look at his Spanish stats and go, "Dude, he only averaged 10 points a game." Cody Clark averaged 21, like in a higher league. But what you don't know is in Spain they can only play a certain a certain amount of quarters, and then they have to sit for other Spaniards. So there's different oh. there's different roles that go into play. So it's like when you're looking at a player's stats, you go, "Oh, this guy only averaged seven in Spain." Yeah, he only played half the game. <laughs> you know, so he'd average 14 if he played in Israel's winter league. Uh, but yeah, so we've definitely broken down some scouting for it. The advantage that teams will have on us is the fact that they know predominantly what our players have done because they have five game films from last year and even three more out in Wichita uh, to be able to say, oh, this is what they're going to do. So, you know, we're prepping for James Madison right now. They're the 16 seed. Uh, they have a couple high-level pros. They have a couple guys that haven't played pros in a while. And they actually have a girl on their team as well that oh, – wow. Yeah, and this is, you guys are getting a little inside scoop here. If TBT does a women's TBT next year, which they're saying that they're going to do, first off, we will have a team in that. And oh. second of all, second of all, best believe I'm gonna go over and shake her hand and be like, Jordan Griffith, here's my number. You can book it. Early recruiting number. Yeah, early. Oh, trust me, we, we've already started recruiting our women's TBT team. Right? This whole thing, it doesn't stop around here. It just, it's, nice. we, we call it a lifestyle. It's a, uh, it's a sideline cancer lifestyle. There's a whole bunch of different avenues, but you know, in order for us to stay on top, we just have to outwork people. And that's, you know, Charlie out, outworks people, Billy, Billy really outworks people. Uh, and so my mom too, we just, we just never stop. That's, that's the sideline cancer way. It's I can believe always all day. Baby. And yeah, that's one of the things that I don't think uh, like myself and a bunch of other people realize is exactly how much work goes in, you know, to it behind the scenes. Yeah, a uh, ton of work. So this morning I woke up at 6.30 and Charlie called me at 6.45 to talk about how his games went last night in his AAU. And uh, then Billy called me about players at 7.45 and then he went off to church. And then called me at noon about a couple different <laughs> players because, like I said, we're kind of in that shuffle right now where we lost a player or two due to contract situations and whatnot. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's one of those things that you're never completely settled. We're also never anxious about it because it's not one of those things like we believe that God drives this mission, uh, that this is a mission of love. It's a mission of, you know, it's, it's I will be done. Uh, my mom always calls it we're parting the purple Red Sea. And, you know, we believe that we can do our best at the end of the day, but thy will be done. That was my dad's, you know, last message to us, thy will be done. And uh, when, you, when you truly live a life like that, 
there's a piece of your heart saying we could go up, we could lose to James Madison uh, in the first round, but that doesn't stop the momentum that we have uh, that we have going here. So there's there's obviously some pressure on us being the number one overall seed. Like obviously, you know, having that number one seed, there's a target on your back. Uh, but when it comes to the work ethic, you know, nobody outworks us. We we study, we watch games overseas constantly. Like we have favorite teams, favorite players that we like to watch. And we all kind of work different schedules. Like Charlie worked from four until nine, you know, when, or three until nine when he trains kids. So he gets to watch them the games during the day. I'm a teacher and a basketball coach. So from like six to 10 at night, I might turn on, turn on a game. And Billy's constantly watching uh, or at least like stat watching. And so, you know, it's a there's a lot to all this. The logistical part, as we get down to this, you know, uh, flying guys, excuse me, flying guys in and that type of stuff. There's a lot that goes to it, you know, buying food and all that type of stuff. Like, there's more than just the basketball. When you guys watch this product, you know, there's guys that are paying pay the NBA probably hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what we do uh, mm. because we believe that what we're doing is the right thing to do. Nice, nice. So when you, when you um when you bring these guys together and everything, and so well, you said you lost two players. Interesting enough. Will you guys try to recruit some guys in the short notice to try to replace these guys? Yes. So that is, okay. <laughs> that, is what, that is what took place today. And so, okay. yeah. And some of that is like, you know, you might call Mo Creek. You might call Marcus. Be like, you have a guy that would want to play with us. You know, that's that's how Isaiah Austin was brought into the equation. Was Marcus was like, hey, you know, after last year's TBT, I was playing it. I was playing, I believe, in Dallas. Uh, you know, just some pickup basketball, and I told Isaiah, like, if you want to rock with us, you can rock with us. And so, like, literally, that was the easiest recruiting we've ever done. We called Isaiah, and when was it? It was, like, February, and like, hey, you want to roll? And he's like, yep, I'm in. I'll give you my video. Send it over. <laughs> and we're like, we were, like, we were, like, it was that easy. <laughs> and then, obviously, you know, the big three, he was number one overall draft pick. He looked so, good yesterday, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's... Isaiah, Isaiah is a special as a special player, uh, yeah. and he's built for three on three basketball. Like, if you were to, if I was to, if I was to have a perfect three on three basketball player, like what they would look like, the skill set, the whole nine yards, it's Isaiah Austin, hundred percent. And so, you know, we were sitting on May first when TBT opened. We had Isaiah Austin, we had Trey Lewis, who I haven't talked a lot about on here. Like, you, uh, Trey Lewis is with Israel Winter League, like high level, high level pro. Crosses half court and he's open, type player. Uh, and then we also had Aubrey Dawkins, who is the son of Johnny Dawkins, who played at Duke. You know, yeah. had the coach, coach Taco Fall. They were part of that run that almost beat Duke. Then, you know, his dad's the coach there. Was the coach out of Stanford, I believe, as well. But then, you know, the NBA came calling, and so he had to he had to go to you know do his NBA summer league and whatnot. So that kind of left us in a precarious situation, and that's how we ended up with Terry Laurier. And uh, we actually, you guys might know the guy too, Daniel Hamilton played at UConn. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. him. And, uh, and then literally he said he was in, 24 hours later, he rolled his ankle. Sent us a picture and we're like, dang, oh, well, God. I guess we're back to the recruiting scene. And then about two days later, uh, Ray Cow's like, hey, my contract. And we're like, oh my gosh, here we go. So that, that's typical though for TBT in a tournament like this. You want to get as good as you can, but when you, when you had a roster like we had, we knew that there was going to be, you know, outside, interests that come in and they have to go take those you know there's no hard feelings or anything like that but they also know too like you know if things don't work out but they can come back to us and you know doors always going to be open oh, that's great 
can, uh, I want to ask you, can you guys add players during the season or you must, you must keep the same roster before the season starts? Uh, so June, I, I think is what you're asking. So like June 15th is when the rosters, the rosters close on June 15th. Okay. So that's the free agent signing period. After June 15th, if you want to add a player, it's going to cost you a thousand dollars. So, oh, wow. yeah, so, <laughs> so that's like, that's the other thing that goes into the situation. We talk about a player and then we say, are they worth $1,000? Meaning like, is it, do they make us that much better? Do, or do we have a, do we have that much better chance of winning a TBT title with this guy or not? And so that comes into play. And remember too, like after June 15th, the best ever, if you're a high level player playing over in Europe, you've been probably asked by 25 different teams. Like Trey Lewis last year, he said he was asked by all, or except it was like fourteen of the TBT teams, and so a lot of these guys have all been asked. Now some of them are being asked by teams. They're like, "Hey, we won one game in TBT. Like we have the luxury of saying like we went to the championship game last year. Like, we're legit. You know, we can't guarantee you anything really. All we can guarantee you is that we put you in one of the best positions to win TBT because Marquette alumni is probably not going to pick you up, right? Baker yeah. Army is probably not going to pick you up because they're an alumni team, Ohio State. Like if you want to be you know, it, we always call them the other teams, like Everline Drive, us, okay. you know, Challenge ALS. You know, those are the teams that, and Armored Athletes in there too. Uh, those are the teams that give you the best chance to win. Uh, and so if you want to roll with us, you know, we pop, we prom, we can promise you one thing, that you will enjoy the experience and that we will present you in the most positive light possible. Uh, and because you're playing for something that's bigger than basketball. And I think a lot of guys too, like when they go, especially our guys, when they went home after last year's run, you know, I think it was kind of like mom and dad were happy with them. You know, girlfriends were, girlfriend was ha happy that they were playing for something bigger than basketball. And right. it was kind of something that there's definitely been a lot more of them posting their, with their sideline cancer stuff on in the last few years than we've seen in the years past. I think there's a lot of like pride that now goes into, you know, playing for this brand, which, uh, mm -hmm. which is what we wanted all along. Yeah, which is we, great. We honestly have some of the best guys in TBT. Like if you, if you, we got some great guys in TBT, man. They're just great, humble, wholesome people. Mm. So, Jordan, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Do you think yeah. do you think that was any of your players would be willing to come on and talk about talk about um their was in their careers or was it more and uh, talk about the yeah. more? Yeah, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I can. I mean, if you guys go through and you guys ask me a player or two, you know, we have some downtime during TV. Last year we had a lot of downtime. This okay. Year, I'm not as sure what the schedule. Like last year, I had no idea what the schedule was gonna look like. But our guys were doing podcasts for TBT. Not because they were oh. being told they had to do them. Like, Mo does podcasts a, a good deal of time. Like, he does a Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, he goes like he goes back to, not back to Indiana, but he does, like, the Indiana podcast, George Washington podcast. There's one called, like, the Nitty Gritty down in yeah. Texas, or, like, where he's from. Like, he does that. He's done that one before. Remy does them. Marcus has done them. So, if I ask them, like, I can't guarantee they'll say yes, but. Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, I, I'm sure like a guy like Eric Thompson and Marcus and Mo and Remy and all them, like Jamel, like they would be more than probably happy to come on here. They might not be able to do a whole hour, but they could do. No, I can understand. Like, yeah. You know, 20 to 30 minutes type deal. That would be awesome. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. What's it, if you can just what's it, tell everybody about the organization, tell everybody, you know, what you guys stand for, what they can do to help, what you guys like. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so I want to make sure that everybody has the clear message because it's a great cause and I want to make sure that everybody that we can connect with or help connect with you know and understand the, the, the whole situation. Yep. And so our foundation is Sideline Cancer and, uh, you know, our uh, our foundation supports the research of Dr. A. James Moser of Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital out of Harvard University. Our goal is to take pancreatic cancer off the sidelines and to the finish line for a cure. With an I can attitude and believe all in spirit, you can do anything, we can do anything. Uh, the, uh, num- like, the number one thing, I'm sorry, what was, what was the second part of your question again? <laughs> like what, you know, what your guys' goals are and, you know. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so our goal is to, is to find an early detection test uh, for pancreatic cancer uh, so that people's, you know, life expectancy can be, you know, not two to six weeks like my dad's, but, you know, three to five years or maybe even someday to hopefully find a cure. There's 74 other, you know, pancreatic cancer organizations out there that are trying to do the same thing. My mom is one of four pancreatic advocates in the entire country. She's the vice president at the uh, Digestive Disease National Coalition in Washington, D.C. None of us take a single penny. There's organizations out there that, you know, there's people taking high salaries. Nobody takes a salary here. Uh, The only thing that the foundation's ever provided my mom and I is a car uh, that has our branding, that has the branding on it. And so, you know, we're 100% transparent. Everything we try to do is out of the goodness of our heart. And so if you if you roll with us, you know, by either donating or, you know, not everybody comes from a situation where they can donate. If you can participate on social media, which the majority of people in this country have, follow us, we'll follow you back. Like if you go to our Instagram page, we follow back about 95% of the people on there because you're part of our army, right? We're not on here. We're not in this for popularity. We don't care how many people are following us and how many are we following. That's not what this thing's about. This thing is about finding a cure. And if you're with us, then, you know, you're part of this great army that, you know, is gonna be rolling rolling on ESPN, you know, watching Marcus Keene hit threes with an I can attitude and believe always spirit that one day we will find a cure for pancreatic cancer. And really at the end of the day, you guys know this too, it's all cancers. Uh, you know, our mission just happens to be pancreatic because that's what took my dad's life. It's taking people's lives all across the country. John Lewis, Alex Trebek, just to name a couple of them. So sidelinecancer.com or go to our Instagram handle, sidelinecancertbt, and follow us on the social media handle is the best way that you can help fight back against this deadly disease. Well, thank you. Thank you for definitely coming on. It's appreciated. You know, I've already followed on. on Honestly, like, this was, this was great tonight. You guys asked great questions, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be tuning in for sure now. Oh, thank you. We, we look forward to seeing you guys play. I'll be watching the games and with him supporting you guys with him. I mean, great cause or something. And, and I think, you know, thank you for bringing more awareness to everybody, too. After yeah, the tournament, if you don't mind, we got to have you back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. Definitely. I'll, I'll come on here and, uh, you know, Hopefully, hopefully we've won the tournament. I can, you know, talk to you about. I, I mean, here's here's the thing. At the end of the day, with us, it's not about the money. Like with the foundation, it's not about the money. It's about doing stuff like this. Like I'm hitting a completely different audience tonight than I could have ever even imagined. You know, right. we don't have any connections really to New York City or anything like that. And so mm-hmm. by coming on here, you know, we hit we hit a group of people that we would never have really been able to touch before. And it might be somebody on here that's watching that goes to an AAU tournament. And this is why we're doing the AAU stuff, because this stuff happens. 
we go to an AAU tournament and go, I remember watching you on ESPN. And someone like say, say, I remember watching you on this podcast. Like, yeah. Yeah. that's the way that this stuff happens. And now all of a sudden, we've made that connection with somebody. And then who knows? They might change the world. And it's all because of this podcast. It brings yeah. a tear to my eye just thinking about it, but it happens. Right. <laughs> it happens that way. I'm telling you, yeah. it's real. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yep. So. Yeah, I love I love that you guys had us on tonight, and it was worth every it was worth every minute. I mean, you guys do a fantastic job, and uh, yeah. you know, keep fighting the good fight. I said, thank you, appreciate. Yeah. It. Have a good night, buddy. Thank you. Hey, hey you too, guys. Have a good one. Thank you.